Hello, Coastway Church. Again, if you're joining online, welcome to you. If you're in the room, welcome to you. Today is a great day in the life of our church. Uh, Next Sunday, let me just go ahead and preview what we have to look forward to, is Baptism Sunday. And so we have already celebrated the waters of baptism, which represent lives being changed, stirred three times already as a young church. And we are so eager with anticipation for the way that he is stirring more lives to take this step What baptism pictures is the old life being buried with Christ as he went to the cross to take our place, die for our sins, and the new life emerging with a new hope and a new direction through the resurrection. And so baptism pictures that, and it's such rich imagery. This was the first step of obedience modeled by Jesus, and it is the first step of obedience mandated by Jesus to those who place our faith in him and look to him as our rescuer and as our king. And so if this is a step that the Spirit of God is moving you to take, you've never been baptized by immersion or after conversion, then perhaps next Sunday could be your day when you go public with your faith through the waters of baptism. You can go online, coastwaychurch.com, slash baptism, or you can go outside before you leave and we will be ready to help facilitate that step. Additionally, you should have received one of these two-sided cards on your way in. Keep that close. We're coming back to it, because today what we're doing is we're going to be talking really about two ways that we live out of our identities as servants. It looks like the health of the church. What does that mean for Coastway? And also, it looks like hope for the community. How are we going to go about that as a church? And so here's where we're at. Open your Bibles to... John's Gospel, chapter 13. And if you do not have a physical copy of Scriptures, we want to resource you with that. We actually would love to give you a Bible as a gift to you before you leave here today. But we are are moving into week four of our series on identity. When you know whose you are and who you are, it changes everything. So if you've been around Coastway for a couple of weeks or since we've started this series, you've heard me say this multiple times, when you know whose you are and who you are, it changes everything. And I was just thinking about where do we see this in the culture? What are some examples of knowing whose you are and that informing knowing who you are? And I just wanted to go to that timeless tale called Toy Story. I don't know if we've got any Disney and Pixar fans in the house today, but uh, first of all, the first step of faith that you need to take after you leave here today, if you've not seen the movie Toy Story, you need to go and you need to see Toy Story. Essentially, what happens is you've got this kid named Andy, and he's got this collection of all these toys. And the greatest value source for each of these toys is that they belong to Andy. And Andy's favorite toy is Woody. And so Woody, he's this cowboy, and uh, his, Andy's favorite toy, but at a birthday party, he gets a toy. What is it? Buzz Lightyear. By the way, I'll go ahead and tell you, the origin of Buzz Lightyear, there's a movie coming out in 2022, so be prepared. But essentially, he gets... Uh, he gets Buzz Lightyear, this space ranger. And Buzz Lightyear does not come to Andy as a toy. He comes as a space ranger, and even though he is a toy. And, later, and all throughout the, the movie, he's basically acting as if he is a literal space ranger. And so he'll like dart this, this yellow light or, or red light laser beam at the other toys, and he'll like fly around and pretend that he's an actual space ranger. But then there's this moment of reckoning after he gets toy-napped Uh, by the neighborhood delinquent whose name is Sid. And Sid takes all these toys, and he's he's mean to the toys. Sid is not a very nice kid. He needs needs a good lengthy time out. And so he takes Buzz Lightyear, and he straps a rocket. And he's got these really evil plans to, like, destroy Buzz Lightyear and Woody. And it's in this moment that, right before this happened, that Buzz sees a commercial on Sid's TV, and it basically is like Buzz Lightyear is a toy. And he's like, I'm not a toy, I'm a space ranger. And so he climbs up on the railing of the steps and he tries to fly. That didn't go very well. Okay, failure to launch. And he lands and he realizes, I'm not really a space ranger. And then Woody gives this motivational speech to Buzz when they're in this moment of crisis. They don't know where it's going. And he says, Buzz, you're something better than a space ranger. You're Andy's. And it's because you belong to Andy that you have value. It's because he loves you. It's because he thinks so much of you. It's because you're Andy's toy that you have value. And that's the greatest marker of your identity. And here's how I wanted to connect this to the series that we're walking through. 
when you belong to Jesus and that becomes the most important thing about you, it changes everything. Because you'll notice from this point in the story with Buzz, the way that he relates and operates looks different. It changes his identity, not only how he behaves, but who he becomes. And when you realize that you belong to someone who served you, it moves you to respond by going out and serving others. That's what this week is all about. We actually spent some time in John's Gospel a few weeks ago, and right now our church is reading through the Gospel of John together. It's not too late for you to jump in. If you want a copy of one of those reading plans, you can get one outside on your way out. But the Gospel of John, let me just give us a little framework of understanding. It is one of four eyewitness accounts to the life, the love, and the labor of Jesus. And there's this basic design pattern that is like a spiral staircase all throughout the Gospel of John. And it's this, Jesus will be in front of a group of people and he'll say something with some heat on it. He's like, I am the way. I am the resurrection. Uh, before Abraham was, I am. They didn't like that one. That, that, that almost got him killed even sooner. And so he'll say something with some heat on it that's controversial. And then he will perform this miraculous sign. He will turn water into wine. Or in, or in John chapter 9, he will heal a man who's born blind. And what it does is he says these things that are controversial, and then he does these things that are undeniable, and it's as if he's saying, you got to make a decision. You cannot be on the fence about who I am. That is not an option. It's not up for discussion. And so Jesus is at a place where his death sentence is all but settled. In the previous chapter, you'll see, the previous chapters, you'll see that the religious leaders have already uh, planned this plot to arrest and kill Jesus. And so emotions are surging as we come to Thursday evening on uh, the eve of our Lord's crucifixion. Jesus has one night left to live. And this is the last time that he will eat before he dies. And so picture this. The sun is setting over Jerusalem, the great city. Jesus and his 12 disciples enter a borrowed second-story Jewish suite. And all the disciples are kind of making their way in. They're finding their place around the table. They're kind of probably elbowing to try to get the, the position of honor. And once inside, here's what's strange. Two things are missing. Traditionally, whenever you would go into another person's home, in this culture, there would be a host, especially if you were a great teacher, a rabbi. So this was like the highest honor to have a distinguished figure like Jesus to come into your home. So there's no host. Nobody welcomes him. Nobody greets them. What does this tell us? This means that Jesus made arrangements ahead of time to be alone with his disciples. This is his last chalk talk. These are his final words to make clear what his first work is all about. And also something that is missing is typically whenever you would go into a home in ancient Palestine, there would be a basin of water and there would be a jar and there would be a towel. And on, on your way in, there would be this bottom feeder servant whose job was to wash the stinky, smelly, grimy feet of those who were entering into the house. In this culture, they did not have showers or access to water like we do, so daily bathing was neither expected nor possible in this context. So middle school boys would have absolutely loved it. It would have been just a dream. Uh, just like we wash our hands they would wash their feet. And so I don't imagine that anybody went to the beach this past weekend, but just think back to the times that you did. Okay, that would be a bad life decision. But think back to the times that you did. You know those beach showers? Whenever you're, you got all that sand like all over your feet and all over your legs, and the first order of business is what? You got to get that off. You, you, you've got to actually uh, get back in the car, and you don't want sand all over the place, um, all up in your WeatherTech floor mats or whatever, and you want to make sure that you get that off. And so that was basically what a lot of the foot washing was all about. And what's uh, interesting is they also, they didn't have closed-toed shoes. So they were rocking Crocs with no socks. So a lot of our college bros would have loved this as well. There was sand, there was dirt, there was grime. And on the way in, here's what's interesting. Every disciple would have walked right by this basin. They would have seen it, but no one was there to wash the feet. They were expecting to have their feet washed that evening, but there was no servant present. Or was there? 
from this scene, we define a servant as one who sacrifices for others as Jesus first sacrificed for them. That's the biblical vision of a servant. And loved ones, hear this. When you have been served, then you will go out and be a servant. The sermon in a sentence for today is really simple. Serve people. Serve people. I want to spend the rest of our time unpacking that. Verse 1, John 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover. All right, so pause right there. What's the Passover all about? Well, Passover weekend was a huge deal in Jewish culture. Basically, think about it like this. Every Airbnb was booked. The lines were long at every store and every shop. And every crazy uh, cousin Eddie was in town telling fishing stories. So the families were in town. The guest rooms were occupied. The nations had gathered for a Passover. Just like families, I think the, the cultural, the closest equivalent that we would have would be Thanksgiving or Christmas. You know how we all come together around Thanksgiving or Christmas? Well, this would have been the equivalent for Jews, is this was like their Thanksgiving and Christmas, so with Passover. And for thousands of years, Jews celebrated the feast of Passover. So there was food involved. That was a good thing. And it was the greatest of four Jewish feasts where Jews reflected all thousands of years back on how God had delivered them from oppression in Egypt. The name Passover comes from the 10th plague that God sent over an oppressive, racist, evil world empire in Egypt thousands of years ago who had the Jewish race underneath their thumb. And it was horrible. It was punishment. It was evil. And so God sends as a tenth and final plague. It, it was a scary one. It was, it was spooky. You would not have wanted to be in the streets when this plague came around. It was an angel of death commissioned by God to justly judge the households of those who refused to follow God in faith and refused to let his people go. And the only way that salvation could come to a household as this angel of death was maneuvering throughout the streets would be to take a blameless lamb to slaughter the lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and spread it over the doorposts of the home. And as the angel of death would pass by, would pass over those homes that were covered in the blood of the Lamb. Ironically enough, every Passover was pointing to this hour in this room with this man. When the Lamb of God would not just be on the table, He would be at the table. And it's why we sing, What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus and so, verse 1 continues, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So all throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus would say, my hour has not come. It's, it's not my time. He would get this pressure from his disciples. Hey, exalt yourself. Make a scene. You know, write your name in the stars. Do something cool. And Jesus would say, hey, no, 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 you don't, you don't understand. Uh, my hour has not yet come, but it's here. Jesus knows that he's on the cliff of the cross. And the impending weight of the sins of the world will soon be bore upon his shoulders. And I just want to ask you this question. He's got 24 hours to live. What would you do if you had 24 hours to live? Would, would you go skydiving? Would you go Rocky Mountain climbing? Would you go 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu? <laughs> this, this is where we go. We go to our, our bucket list. Right? And we think about all the things that we still need to do to get the most out of life. And in this moment, Jesus wasn't thinking about all the things he needed to do so he wouldn't miss out. He was thinking about the one thing he needed to do so that we would not miss out. How can I serve? That's the question that the king is asking in his last hours. You see, loved ones, Jesus' bucket list is very different than ours. His bucket list was to glorify God by serving and saving guilty sinners. That was his purpose. That was his plan. And we see he loved them to the end. Now, we use that word love very flippantly, don't we? We say, I love the dog. I love college football. And I love tacos. I love my wife. 
It's like, well, well, I hope that there's some priority right there. If not, I'm very responsive to email. You can send me an email at john at coastwaychurch.com. We can talk about your priorities a little bit and get some clarity around there. But uh, here's what's interesting. Did you know that the average length of marriage in the U.S. is 8.2 years? The average friendship only lasts seven years. The average time employed is 4.7 years. And to be fair, some of this has to do with the nature of life. There's a lot of transition. There's a lot of, you know, maybe we move to a new place or something happens. But I, th- I think more of this, this, this difficulty to love people to the end, has to do with our propensity to cancel relationships when things get hard instead of continuing them, knowing that God wants to press us into the mold of Jesus through that adversity. I'm glad Je- Jesus doesn't do that with us. I'm glad Jesus doesn't do that in this scene. Dane Ortland in the great book, Gentle and Lowly, said this, He does not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. Let me ask you this question. Who in your life is God calling you to keep loving who you are tempted to quit loving? Verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Pause right there, because this can be a trippy verse if we don't actually get some context. The devil cannot force followers of Jesus to do anything. But he can whisper lies that lead us astray down dark and disobedient paths. Here's the assurance. When Christ has taken possession of your soul, the devil can never reclaim that possession. But the problem is Judas was not a Christian. And so what happens is, and imagine being Judas. Jesus is your community group leader. Jesus is your preacher. You're with Jesus all the time. How do you not get the point? But still, the devil claims him. He possesses his motives, and he eventually drives him to death. But here is what is really interesting. If you keep on reading, you see that the devil tries to sink his fangs into Peter the same way he did with Judas. And Have you looked at what Peter does? He actually denies Jesus. He denies that he even knows him. So essentially, he does the same thing. He betrays Jesus by denying him. So uh, wives in the room, if your husband, you're out in public, and somebody says, is that your wife? You know, I'll be like, you better believe it, absolutely. Jackpot, she's my wife. But what if, what if he said, I, I don't know her. Oh, bad news bears. That's, that's going to be a long car ride home. You better, you better name it and claim it in that moment right there. But to deny would be to betray. Peter did this with the Lord. But Peter was a Christian, and so here's what happened. Though he did the same thing, God spared him from the devil's hand. Judas was given over into the devil's hand. The devil's power is limited, but he knows how to leverage it. As we saw in week one, he is a master manipulator. The lies he tells and the lies he sells are so believable. And so it might go something like this. The Bible is archaic and ancient. You are new and progressive. Ignore it. And so the Christian may have the doubts, may have the difficulties with particular areas of doctrine, but what happens with the Christian is they persevere in the truth. They don't hang up on God and and stop pursuing clarity from the Scriptures. And what does that do? It leads to lie. But the non-believer, they believe the lie. And they say, you know what? The Bible is archaic. It is ancient. It doesn't apply to present circumstances or situations, and so it's closed. And what does that lead to? Death. It leads to more lies. Or here's another one. All of my time, talent, and treasure belong to me. So I'm going to spend it on whoever, however, and whatever I want. And so for the Christian, we're going to, we're going to have some, some difficulties here. We're going to ha- have some difficulties taking down the no trespassing signs that we put around our time, talent, and treasure, thinking that it's mine. But eventually we get to a place to where, the cr- like, Jesus, this is yours. Everything, what do I have that wasn't given from you to me? And so we just hold our hands. We go from white-knuckling these resources to open-handed. 
God, it's yours. Here I am. Use whatever I have. But for the, the non-Christian, it's like, you know what? I worked hard for that. You know what? I, I, de- I deserve this time. I, I, I should be able to, to spend this however, whoever, and, 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 and whatever I, I want. And what does that do? It leads to greed. It leads to envy. And it eventually leads to death. Or how about this? Jesus said, it is finished. Here's a lie. That didn't count for you. You better work hard. You better earn it. And so what does the Christian do? The Christian perseveres in grace. The Christian perseveres to the point to where the cross is personal. And it's no longer God so loved the world. It's for me. This was my testimony as a 19-year-old freshman in college. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, it was for God so loved Jeremy. That he gave his only son. But for the non-Christian, it's like perform well and I'm going to be prideful unto death because I'm doing good. Or it's going to be fail hard and turn to despair that also will lead to death. And we never look to the Lord as our source of life. And it kills us. Understand, until you belong to Christ and rest your identity in Him, you will always be fighting for victory. But you'll never, you'll never get it. But when you are in Christ and you rest your identity in His presence and His approval, you're fighting from victory. It's yours as a gift. Verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands. What do we see right there? That's power. He's all-powerful. And that He had come from God. That's position. He Himself is God. And He was going back to God. That is His purpose. So to walk in the way of Jesus is to live with a power given to us from God, a position that we could never earn, and a purpose that we could never dream. And when we live out of that power, position, and purpose, it changes everything about our life, everything about our direction. Verse 4, he, being the most powerful in the room, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. So at some point during supper, something happened. There was this verbal scuffle among the boys, and they started arguing over who's the greatest. And uh, my mind goes to Dwight Schrute off of The Office, this sitcom that depicts basically the the disgruntled uh, employees of Dunder Mifflin Paper Company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. It's legendary. You need to take a look at it. But what Dwight was always doing is his title was assistant to the regional manager. But if you ask him, he would always say, no, I'm the assistant regional manager. And so he was always jockeying for position. He was always trying to put himself ahead of other people. Who are we to do this in the church? Like, who do we, who do we say? We got like, I know there's a Dwight Schrute in me. There's probably a Dwight Schrute in, in you that is always looking to be the greatest, the smartest, the prettiest, the wisest, the fastest the wealthiest. But remember this, no one's feet have been washed at this point. And so you got Andrew over here. He's saying to Peter, he's like, Peter, get your nasty feet away from my hummus. You're totally killing the vibe over here. And at this point, I just think maybe there was hummus there. But at this point, we need to get um, Da Vinci's romanticized portrayal of Jesus and his whitewashed disciples all on one side of the table like they're posing for a representative from Olin Mills on picture day. It was so much bigger than that. It was a lot messier than that. Somebody's supposed to get low and take the role of a servant. Who's it going to be? And shockingly, nobody steps up to do it. It's it's hard to come up with a modern equivalent of foot washing in ancient Palestine but I'll, I'll launch a question out there and see where this leads. What is that chore? What is that act of service that you just don't want to do? Uh, maybe it's you know following your dog around with that little bag and making sure that there's no evidence afterwards. Or maybe it's the dishes. Maybe it's the diapers. Uh, maybe And men, I know, you know we, we do this. Dads, we can be good at fake sleeping when the baby's crying and it's time to get up. And then... The wife nudges, and you're just, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. I'll go over there. I would be glad to serve, absolutely. But you're acting brand new. Come on. We, this, this stuff happens. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's laundry. It's like, Jesus, come quickly. There's, there's always that one job that no one else wants to do. And if you look 
for the people who do those jobs with joy, you have found the real servant. The things that nobody wants to go near, nobody wants to touch, that's messy, that's grimy, that's dirty, doing that with joy, that's Jesus. And so Jesus, in his final hours, rises to his beautiful feet to wash 24 broken feet. Verse 5, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Let's do some noticing. There are seven verbs in the past two verses. What this ought to tell us is that you cannot serve others without taking action. The byline for Nike would be helpful at this point. Just do it. What enlivens the moment is all that Jesus has going on. Have you ever been too busy to serve? Have you ever been too overwhelmed to care? Jesus could have said, now is not a good time for me, fellas. I've got a lot going on. I've already done enough. I will go on to do more. I'm not up for this right now. Peter, James, and John, get off your blessed assurances and wash everybody's feet. But it doesn't say that. And yet here he is. He's got more going on in this moment than you and I could have going on in a hundred lifetimes. And yet he's kneeling. He's washing. He's pouring. He's serving. Here we peer into the depth of our Lord's commitment to you and I. Dane Ortland, his heart is not like an arrow, shot quickly but soon falling to the ground. Or a runner quick out of the gate, soon slowing and faltering. His heart is an avalanche, gathering momentum with time. A wildfire, growing in intensity as it spreads. And so verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Peter was confused by something Jesus was doing. Has that ever been you? Have you ever been there where you're just so puzzled and perplexed by something that God permits? Well, this next verse could help all of us. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. So what do you do when God prescribes or permits Something you don't like. Something that's hard. Something that is difficult. Well, right here, Jesus reveals the remedy to what we ought to do. He tells us what he told Peter. Afterward, don't leave me. Don't walk away. There's joy on the other side. Afterward, you will understand. After what? Well, what's about to happen? The cross and the resurrection. Have you ever looked through a telescope before? A telescope is intended to take you farther out than you could see with the naked eye. Uh, the Hubble telescope, which is actually orbiting around the Earth uh, 340 miles above uh, the Earth right now, uh, can see light years into the galaxy. And what Jesus is saying right here to Peter and what he's saying to you is that thing that you don't understand in your life, could it be because you don't have the right lens of focus? Could it be because your telescope is not the cross? Because if you're looking through the lens of the cross, you can, you can say a lot of things, but you can never say that God doesn't care. You can never say that. And if you're looking through the lens of the resurrection, then there's a lot of things you could say, but you can never say he's not in control. You can never say that this isn't going somewhere that leads to life. Verse 8, Peter said to him, keeps talking, <laughs> you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So what he's saying is, if you try to earn this, you're not a Christian. If you think that your morals, that your money, and that your mission in life is what qualifies you for God's acceptance, Jesus is speaking some tough truth. You don't get it. You've got farther to go in grace. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, uh, not only my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And Peter, you are clean, but not every one of you. So what he's saying, Peter, stop showing off. Stop making this about you. Receive what I've already given you. 
Peter was already a Christian. Jesus wouldn't have said this. So Tim Keller, he points to how two things must happen before we can really progress in the Christian life and before we can serve from a pure heart. The first one is this. We need a bath. So what this means is we must receive the washing work of Jesus' life in our place, cleansing us of all our sins through faith, past, present, and future. So this is what theologians will call salvation. This is what theologians will call justification. Justification is freedom from the penalty of sin. Because Jesus paid it all, no penalty is left for us. And this is, what Jesus, this is what Tim Keller is saying, before you can really even be a Christian, you have to believe this. Second of all, you need Jesus to wash your feet daily. These are the regular reminders. This is what theologians call sanctification. So justification is freedom from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is freedom from the power of sin. Because I'm progressing, because I'm remembering, because my telescope is the cross and the resurrection, I am growing in grace. I am becoming more and more like Christ. And I'll speak for myself, maybe even for you. I suffer from post-traumatic faith disorder. I forget my faith way too easily. Some of you, maybe, don't leave me up here like that. I, I, I really struggle like going back to God is that good and grace is that real. And there's three things that we must have to walk well with God. We need to have his word. We need to have his spirit. And we need to have his people. And these are the means of grace that Jesus uses to wash our feet daily. And for us to have them is to have these reminders built in to prevent us from driving into the ditch. Jesus says, but not every one of you is clean, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So watch this. Jesus washed the feet of his betrayer. How did he do this? What did he have that gave him the reason and resource to wash the feet of his betrayer, even of his denier? Well, the secret is made plain in verse 3. You go back, it says Jesus had been given all things. And part of that means he had been given ultimate approval. How can you be so secure that you can serve your enemies? It's only when the peace of heaven, heavenly approval surpasses the pain of human betrayal. So why are we depressed? Why are we insecure? Why are we angry? Why do we lust? Why do we lose our temper? It's because there's something that we don't have yet that we think is still essential for life and for joy. And the cross is the solution. Because when we realize that that's what Jesus thinks of me, he would think that much of me, it it settles everything. It brings us to a place to where it doesn't matter who walks out on us. If I have the approval of God in Christ, then I have everything that I need. And Jesus was always contending for clarity. And so that's what this next verse is all about. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? And I would be curious to know, do you understand what Christ has done for you? See, we're, we're far slower to think deeply about the meaningful aspects of life than we care to admit. We go to the trivial before we go to the timeless. And, and we're, we're more quick to become experts about our fantasy football league, fine and good, that's okay, enjoy that, than we are to actually learn about the, the life and the love of Jesus that is actually going to endure into uh, eternity. And so he asks, you boys catching on by now? You understand, understand now what gets noticed, what gets applauded by God? Crickets. No response. Got to love the disciples. Just a bunch of knuckleheads. So Jesus makes it plain. Verse 13, just like, just like me and you. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You acknowledge me with your words, but will you acknowledge me with your works? That's everything that Jesus is saying to his disciples right now. He's like, by the way, the demons acknowledge me with their words. How's that going for them? Just because you draw near with your lips doesn't mean that you have laid down the arms of your heart. 
verse 15, For I have given you an example that you also should do. Everybody say that word. Do. One more time for the people in the back. Do just as I have done to you. Served people, serve people. So let me ask you this. Who's up for a challenge? Here we go. Ready or not? Get out your phone right now. Get out your phone. I want you to uh, look at your calendar. If you don't have a phone with a calendar, maybe we need to change that. But go ahead and get your, get your phone out. Look at your calendar. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. What is one specific way that you can schedule to serve someone this week before you come back next week? And for some of you, it might be four weeks. You know, bless you. It's okay. Whenever it is that you come back, uh, before that time, schedule it. Plan it. Serve somebody. Don't just feel it. Schedule it. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. God did not call you to spend the first and best of your time by yourself and on yourself. And while you're thinking about what this could, what this could be, you probably feel it right now. It's because the Spirit of God is using the Word of God to make it alive in your hearts. Uh, but you're, you're not going to feel it when it's time to cook dinner. You're not going to feel it when the kids are kicking, screaming, and demanding. You're not going to feel it when your coworker cuts another corner and hangs you out to dry. You're not going to feel it when your roommate does that dumb thing that annoys you. You're not going to feel it when the clothes need to be folded. But served people serve people. And in these moments, you're not serving because they deserve it. You're serving because Christ deserves it. And in that, we have joy. Jesus goes on, verse 16, Truly, truly, so if Jesus says truly, truly, it must really be true. I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? Do them. So here we see Jesus. Get this picture fixed in your heart. Leveraging all of his power and all of his position to serve people who don't deserve it. And we hear him say that we will be blessed and noticed as we do the same. It's like, how does all that work? Well, I'll, I'll keep it really simple. The blessing is in the becoming. I would be curious, what is your definition of blessed? Is it to do something that gives you personal satisfaction and fulfillment outside of your faith? Or is it in those moments when you're sacrificially serving and you know that you're becoming more like your Lord? Where is the greatest blessing for you? Well, it's not the act of serving that's the blessing. Hebrews 12, 2 says that Jesus endured the cross, not that Jesus enjoyed the cross. It's, it, the, the blessing is in the, how by these acts of service that we do that are hard, we become more like Jesus. You will never know a greater blessing than to become more like your Lord. We, others will never be more blessed than if we relate to them as Jesus cares about them. And so how can we do this as a church? I've given you multiple individual handles uh, to hold on to, but how can we do this as a church? So go ahead and grab that card that you should have received on your way in. Go ahead, pull this out. I want to talk about this for just a couple of minutes and talk about how we can do this as a church. The first way that we live out of our identities as, a ch as servants, as a church, is this. As servants, we bring help to the church through what we call serve teams. So part of being commissioned with Coastway is active ownership of one, of one of the three serve teams. These are the teams of men and women who prioritize the health of the church, the progress of the church. How? Through their time, <laughs> through their talent, and through their treasure. Right now, there are 39 of us who have said, I I'm all in, and I'm going to go all out. <laughs> for the advancement of the gospel through Coastway. And I just want to give you a snapshot of these three serve teams. you got a description there on the card that you can kind of follow along. But uh, there's three teams that act, make everything that you see on the weekend possible. And I just want to give a nod to all these teams and maybe call you up to consider being a part of one of these teams. First of all, there is kids. Did you know that 80% of those who turn from sin and trust in Christ will do so by the age of 18? This means that the greatest mission field in our church is actually not even in this room right now. It's on the, the second floor 
where children at a very early impressionable age and stage are having the opportunity to meet Jesus and make friends. And how do we do that? We, we help them play well, have a lot of fun. We protect them from harm. We take safety seriously. And then we partner with parents to raise a generation in Christ. And I, I was just looking at where we're at as a church and where God is leading us as a church. And here's what we're praying. We're praying that four more, some of you, uh, would be commissioned with Coastway and would go all in with the kids serve team by the end of the year. And we're praying for 10 more to do that very thing by Easter. And you're saying, well, is this a life sentence? Do I, when I sign up, am I doing this for the rest of my life? Well, first of all, I hope that you don't think about serving that way. But second of all, no, it's not. Okay, you can serve once a month, you can serve twice a month. But what does it do? It blesses the body. It brings health to the church. And then there's the welcome team. The welcome team is the team of disciple-making disciples who make the gospel clear from the street to the seat. You were welcomed by a member of our welcome team. What is our welcome team? Our welcome team is a picture of the welcoming love of God in Christ who opened up the doors of his household so that you and I could have a place at the table. And so we hope that you've been blessed by our welcome team. We have a phenomenal welcome team. But maybe, that's, maybe God's gifted you with hospitality. Maybe that's just something that you're just really good at greeting people. You're good at making people feel welcome. Well, maybe that could be the place for you. Uh, maybe it could. Then there's also worship. And don't, don't Derek, Tanner, and Joyce just do a tremendous job leading us on Sundays? Yeah, let's just applaud them right now. It's just so phenomenal. But, to, but this, is, this is for now. It's not forever. We're going to have to grow in um, our, our base of spirit-filled musicians. Who, that I'm all in with this vision of discipleship. I'm all in with the local church. And you know what? God's given me a pretty good voice, too. If not, that's okay. Be humble about it. Or if you're not, we'll tell you. <laughs> uh, but maybe that's you. Maybe you're gifted on pressing these buttons right back here. They don't let me near it, and that's a good thing. Okay, but there's a lot of things that happen on the, the soundboard at the tech booth that, that make the experience better for everybody. And maybe that's you. Maybe God's calling you out and calling you up and just saying, I've got, a, I've got, a, I've got time and I've got talent, and I want to leverage it in that uh, way. And additionally, our fervent prayer is that we are going to see these acts of service make us all more like Jesus. You talk to any of our serve team members, what will they tell you? They will tell you, in serving, I am becoming more like my Savior. And that's where the blessing is. It's not that it's comfortable. It's not that it's convenient. It's not that it's cozy. It's that it's Christ. And it takes us to a place to where we look more like the one who first served us. And so the step, if you're, if you're ready, if you're ready, we talk about it all the time. You might know what's coming. The Weekender. Your step is The Weekender. So our next Weekender is coming up on December 10th. Go ahead. It's a Friday evening. We've got dinner covered we're going to take care of it. It's going to be good. You're going to like it. There's even some cupcakes there. Important things happen at the weekend, or you're, you're going to like it. Go ahead, block off that date. Join us December 10th for our next weekender, and we want to help you on-ramp with a serve team. Next, we don't just care about the health of the church. We also, as servants, we bring hope to our community through what we call Serve 843. So Serve 843 is our way of bringing renewal in Jesus' name to areas of pressing need in our community. And so far, I want to tell you about two of our local partners. We have partnered with a local middle school. And here's what we're committed to doing. We're committed to giving resources and relationships to this particular school. And God has given us a big heart for uh, this school uh, for several reasons. Number one, they are right in the heart of our mission field. And, and second of all, uh, a lot of basic needs that you and I take for granted, so many of these students go without. It could be a jacket. You know, if you, if you wore a jacket to church today, you have more than a lot of these students at this school that we're serving. You know, if, if you have food in your stomach, you have more than a lot of the students at this school that we are serving. Uh, if you go home to a secure environment where you don't have to wonder about provision, you, mu you probably have a little bit more than these students that we're serving. And so God has positioned our church. He's been good to us. We want to be good to others. He served us. We want to serve others. And that's what this partnership is all about. So far, it's looked like we've donated 100 backpacks 
to a lot of kids who don't, and, and because you give, we were able to do that. Uh, we, uh, we gave take-home snack bags, which the students loved, they're already asking for more, that went home with them on the weekend and uh, gave them just a little bit of hope going into their weekend. We gave them to every single student, 800 students. Uh, Halloween treat bags, everybody left with a Halloween treat bag and an invitation to Coastway. Loving on teachers, we've, we've done coffee, we've done donuts. This is a small preview of how God has called us to partner. And I want to tell you where my heartstrings were really starting to get pulled. It's when the city starts looking to the church for hope and joy. I got a phone call a couple weeks ago from the front office of this school, and they said, there is a, there's a dad who walked through our doors and does not know how he is going to provide Christmas for his children. And because you have served us so much, we, you are our first phone call. And we're, t- we're turning to you to see whether or not you might be interested in helping us provide Christmas for some kids who otherwise wouldn't get it. What do you think the answer is? Yes. Abs- that's, why, that's why we're here. That's, that's, that's why we're here. Next, I'm thrilled and thankful to share that we are locking arms with Coastline Women's Center, a local crisis pregnancy center whose purpose is to educate, support, empower and come alongside women who are facing unplanned pregnancies. And what are they doing at every step? They're also advocating for the unborn through compassionate medical means and care. And John and I, we met with the founders of Coastline Women's Center just this past week. I was, I was burdened to hear that one out of every four women are dealing with post-abortive trauma and guilt and shame. And I thought, I just started thinking how much of a need there is for the gospel. How much of a need there is to love in, in the wake of an experience like this that can be so hard and that can take that the devil can use as a foothold. And I just want to say, if that's you, you've not gone so far that the grace of God will not pursue you. you you've not sinned so much, you've not made so many bad decisions that God would not welcome you into his forever family. And that Coastway would not welcome you into our faith family. So I was burdened to hear that, but I was blessed to hear that in 2020, check this out, 421 women walked through the doors of Coastline across three different centers in the grand scheme. Everyone had a decision to make. Will I bring this baby to term? In 2021, just this past year, 600 women walked through the doors of Coastline Women's Center. And here's what you need to know about all of these women. They are created in the image of God, and they need to be reminded of the imminent value and the imminent dignity and the pressing worth of life from the womb to the tomb. And that's what Coastline is committed to doing, is, is walking alongside these women. And so you can see why we are so moved and why we are so motivated to come alongside a, a local nonprofit in our community to bring more hope and more help to more people in need. And what does this look like? It's going to look like resourcing and relationships. Come back on December, December 5th. You're going to want to be here because we're going to be announcing an initiative for Christmas that is going to help us serve in a bigger, broader way than ever before as a church. And I hope you'll be here. But the question is, like, why are you doing this? What, what is this all about? You know, we're a new church. We're a young church. We're still trying to figure out so many things. But I'll tell you the reason, the answer to that question is, why wouldn't we do this? Because if you go back to the story, there's a moment around the table when Jesus gets up. And when he gets up, what does he do? He lays aside the garments of a master, and he puts on the garments of a servant. What does he do from there? He doesn't stop. He, He presses on to pick up a towel and go foot by foot to his disciples and wash the feet of guilty, undeserving sinners. And if you notice, I don't know if you caught this or not, who are the, who's the only person whose feet never get washed? It's Jesus. But that doesn't stop him. He continues. He, he, he presses in to serve those who won't even serve him back. And what this is, is we have a beautiful snapshot of, of the gospel which is that God in Christ left his throne, got up, came down, and 
he wrapped himself in the form of flesh, the form of a servant, and he did not just pour out water from a basin, he poured out his very blood on the cross. And if you get that fixed in your mind, if that's the vision that you have of God, if that's what you think about when you think about God, that's going to change everything about your identity. It's going to change everything about how you view opportunities to serve. And as Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Pray with me. Father, I, I feel compelled right now just to pray for our city and our church. I want to pray for our church that we would cast aside the garments of a master building a kingdom in our own name and that we would take up the garments of a servant just like Jesus did for us. Lord, I pray for the husbands. I pray for the wives. I pray for the single adults. I pray for the college students, for the students, for the, the children. Lord, that we would be gripped by this vision to serve, to serve one another as you first served us. Lord, I pray for our serve teams. Lord, I pray for those four serve team members that you are calling out and calling up to, to join Coastway Kids uh, by the end of the year, for the 10 by Easter, for, for more for each of our other serve teams, that it would lead to a healthy, holy church built on the foundation of the gospel. And God, I want to pray for our city. I pray for more hope to come to more people because Coastway is here. Lord, I pray for Coastline Women's Center. Lord, we pray that intervention would happen in the name of Jesus and that these mothers would see the beauty and the clarity of the gospel through the compassionate medical care that's offered. And Lord, we even pray for the unborn right now. We pray for the mom in our city right now who is struggling with this decision. I pray that you would encounter her and that you would minister to her and that you would put coastline, that you would put coastway around her to let her know that she's deeply loved and that she's not alone. Lord, I pray for Blackwater Middle School. Lord, I pray right now that you would bring renewal through our church and that through this partnership that we're entering into, that there would be a deep sense of hope and joy and laughter among the teachers and the students. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.